Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hey there, I hope that summer has been good to you. And if you're on the other side of the equator, I see that it's 44 degrees in Melbourne right now. It's also three in the morning. But you're headed for a high of 53 today. Hang in there. Spring is coming soon. Digital transformation is a topic that has been around and one that I'd like to dig into even more so after today. But I do have a better idea of what it really means now. I'll let you listen to the episode and learn along with me. It seems that while a lot of companies did a lot more online during the pandemic, my guest has observed that many are reverting to the old ways And maybe the pandemic, while it was an opportunity, might not have changed the world as much as we thought it would. We will see. So with that introduction, let's jump into it. All right, my guest today is Erasmus Holm. He is the Chief Marketing Officer at MSD. And we're going to talk a little bit about digital transformation and marketing in the pharma world. Um. Erasmus, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you recently did a tour around Europe for five weeks talking about digital transformation and change management. And your observation seems to be that companies have not changed as much as we might have expected in terms of digital as a result of the pandemic. So first, let's start with what what does digital transformation mean to you? Because I think a lot of companies or individuals think about it slightly differently. Yeah, I think I think sometimes you have to split up the word in, into two parts. Uh, for me, it's the digital part is the transformation part. So you have a huge human transformation that has to happen because we have to understand that we live in a different world. Uh, and many of these, let's say, legacy companies that was not born into the digital age needs to then adopt a you know, different mindset and different behaviors and, and change some of the foundation of, of the businesses that uh, they are. At the same time, there's a digital part that we often focus on initially. So technology and buying, you know, software and implementing those kind of stuff, uh, which is sometimes the easy and often where companies start, which is often the mistake um, because they under, you underestimate the, the human transformation that, that goes into it. But specifically, it is this critical need for both, you know, companies and people and that, that are really born to really understand that born, not born in digital age to understand that we live in a time where digital and real world experiences um, are expected just to seamlessly blend into each other. Right. That's been a theme on this podcast for years now, but that how Amazon and Google and Netflix have raised the bar and changed our expectation for every interaction we have. Right. So, yeah, and you just mentioned the human aspect of it. So tools are important, but what does what does mindset? How does that play into it? And what are you looking for there? It so f- when I came in four years ago here in MSD Nordics, it was that that was the biggest challenge. I actually got in and I had a digital transformation uh, in my title, uh, and my first job for myself was try to get rid of that. Because sometimes when you put digital transformation in one person or sometimes maybe in a department, does that mean that you don't have to do it somewhere else? Does it kind of lies within that person or that team? And I felt a little bit like that. And I also had to say the word digital like a lot of times 
which I never did before. I came from software, I came from IT and consultancy. And I never said digital, I just did marketing and sales and some of it were online and digital and some of it was not. It didn't really matter. It was just about what was most efficient, what gave the best experience for the customers and what was the most impact for the, for the company. So the mindset was insanely important because I had to keep on explaining why are we doing this? Why are we actually changing? Why are we doing digital? Um, and it took a while and it still is kind of ongoing. I think the pandemic has helped and that was, it probably has been a, a driver, I think, for a lot of companies that wasn't already changing. That now the pandemic is here and then woof, now we're changing. But I also saw some signs of this tour you mentioned where some of the companies spoke to me at least about that the pandemic was the change agent and the driver for them, you know, recently. But when the pandemic is now lifting or have lifted for many of the companies, they went back to what they did before because there wasn't anyone really driving it afterwards. So the pandemic was the change agent for many companies. What happens afterwards? Some of them that are doing digital marketing are now struggling with uh, with that change and really explaining the why. What um, I I just got off a call where I heard you know people are just starting to talk about traveling again, and so there's some element there, even if that wasn't the specific case about a non-digital approach. But mm. um, when you see it work, what what's the difference between those companies where you think they've continued down the digital path and those that have reverted to just doing what they were doing? And why would somebody abandon it? Oh, well, first of all, did you have a top-down management buy-in before the pandemic or during the pandemic to really start and continue this transformation? Um, we had it before. We had, a, And when the pandemic hit us, we didn't change our strategy in terms of, of, of the digital transformation. We were already doing it. We were already in the path. So that was, a, at least for us in the Nordics, just continuing that, that, that transformation. And then for the companies who wasn't, and then suddenly the pandemic hits, and they just say, oh, now we have to do more webinars, more online meetings. Uh, the world is hybrid, and should we just abandon the office and all work you know, remotely? And, and then but then you didn't end up really any kind of model or strategy for it. You just let things drive, and you maybe firefight a little bit, and then you see some things happening, but you don't, you don't change the organization maybe, and you don't make any radical choice. Then suddenly the pandemic is over, and then what is easiest to do? Well, to revert back to the things that you did before. You weren't on the path before. So a few companies continued and really invested, and it was an eye-opener, the pandemic for them. But I think for a lot of people, it wasn't. It was just trying to survive, really, and, and making sense of the uncertainty that, that, that we were in and in some form still are, uh, but will probably continue to be. So in a sense, I mean, it sounds like, tell me if I'm wrong, they didn't maybe invest in the infrastructure. It was more of an adaptation. We're going to do this for as long as we need to, but we're not going to commit in a sense and think about how we do this forever. We're just going to make it work for now. And then they revert and do what they've always done. Exactly. Suddenly when you know, you realize the pandemic has hit and things are more digital and more online and, and we suddenly work online more as well, then you start sprinkling digital on top of things. So a real digital transformation, and not many companies do that, honestly. And, and we're, they're probably more digitalizing than it's a transformation, really. So we're just you know, doing the same stuff, but now we're doing a little bit more online. Or we do a little bit of social media to the things we did before, or we do a little bit more a website or campaigns online. So when these things happen, 
then it's not really a transformation. You, you know, big companies are like skyscrapers, right? You don't just move the whole skyscraper to another thing. You know, you maybe start moving people around the floors or polish the windows, but a real fundamental change hasn't happened. So I think that a lot of companies suddenly started sprinkling, you know, some webinars and some other online stuff into it during the pandemic. And then afterwards, it wasn't really a fundamental change. You know, it was really just putting in a few other flowers in the, in the office space. And then, uh, and then it kind of went away because it was easier to go back to the, the old model of working. And what would a fundamental change look like? Like if, if I put you in charge and I said, <laughs> make us, you know. It, it is when you have technology not added as something on top, but it's embedded into the DNA of the company. That's really different. The technology and the way that you work and think and how you innovate is, is centered around that. And that's still very difficult. And, and a lot of companies are not really on the path to really doing that yet. And, and we are not still fully, but, but you know, we, we're, we're working towards it. Um, because you have to understand what does, what, how do you really want technology to work for you? Not just technology, something that drives everything and you just buy some software and then your thing is start to work. It's really something that becomes a customer-centric um, um, approach uh, where technology is part of the DNA. And then it's about innovation, I feel, as well, that how do you embed innovation? And that comes down to the, to the human aspect of things as well, that if you set up the right teams, you create the environment for people, you start innovation to, to happen. And then if you have technology embedded in a company, suddenly you start seeing you know, services and solutions that can actually both do something for the customer and do something for the company in the long run besides the core product. Because we're still manufacturer of a pharmaceutical, and we're really good at that. That's the essence, right? Research and, and a manufacturer. Are we something else tomorrow? Probably not. But everybody who talks about digital transformation often talk about, oh, then we are changing the core of the business. But often we have just digitalized, really, just we haven't really changed nice. the core of the business. And it's super hard to change the core of the business, but it happens probably fairly slowly. And for some, it's very disrupted, like Blockbuster and you know, Canon and those kind of you know, classical examples. It happened overnight. Right. So am I wrong to think that, you know, as you say, you are a pharmaceutical company, that is your core business, but a real digital transformation would be implementing technologies beyond not just how customers hear about us in a webinar or get emails or whatever kind of messaging, but actually allow you to offer new services exactly. to a customer in almost changing the business model or expanding it. Exactly. Right? But it's three phases for us, right? It's almost like a, you know, a research uh, development of a product. It's, that's the same for us in the evolution. But first and foremost, we know that we are a research company. The next step, and then that's what many pharmaceutical companies are in that realizing, okay, we're also a communication and information company. And thirdly, we are also a technology service data company as well. But you, if you skip kind of some, some of those steps, then you can get lost and be distracted. That's one of my key things is, is trying to not get distracted by new shiny things uh, and then say, well, oh, then right now we you know, we come from being a research-heavy company, then someone comes and says, well, and now tomorrow we have to be in the metaverse. And then everybody runs in that direction. And then you kind of forgotten, well, what about all the, you know, communication information part where we have to service our, our customers and all that part, get that right. That's where we are right now. And I think that's where most of the business and most of pharmaceutical are, they are 
in that space, finding out how to do omnichannel, how to get information, how to communicate with our customers in the best way, how to bring value, and then you know starting to see some of the first steps into the real services, or some even call it maybe around the pill or uh, all that kind of stuff. Got it. All right. So that's the best answer I've heard. I mean, I haven't asked this to a lot of people, but I've you know been to some events and so on. But you got me thinking. It's not. It's not how we do things. It changes what we do, possibly, in the long run. If you find this kind of conversation useful, what's keeping you from providing the same kind of educational content to your customers, investors, or employees? You might be missing an opportunity. I recently heard from someone to whom I had no connection who said he'd been listening for years, which of course made my day. I love having these conversations, and I make my living when companies like yours pay me to produce and often host conversations with their customers and thought leaders for their audience. If that sounds interesting, there's a link to my Calendly in the show notes. Now, let's get back to my conversation with Erasmus Holm, Chief Marketing Officer for the Nordics at MSD. All right, so we're going to shift gears a little bit. You seem to be a big fan of storytelling and thinking about marketing broadly, not just digital. And pharma and healthcare talking about digital all the time. How do you see MSD or other pharmas using storytelling successfully to patients and providers and payers? In a nutshell, it's still early days. Uh, I came in as a, you know, we, I came in when I came in. I said, "Well, we are we are a marketing company. We do B two B marketing mostly. We also do more consumer marketing. That's where it gets a little bit more exciting, and and there's more storytelling when we look more on 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 the more broader campaigns. I think, but in the more you know in the more B two B environment for our ACPs and others, we are definitely B two B for us means boring to boring. You know, it's it's really we don't really do. We try. You know, but we come from a science and fact-driven world where storytelling is not maybe not really allowed or encouraged because everything has to be based on facts and data and research. And that's the our history. That's our legacy. That's our platform everything comes from. So we're struggling with adopting this little bit a different mindset to, to how we message and how we approach messaging. But it's changing. I think we have realized that we are both this, you know, research and messaging communication company. Uh, and things are evolving, and some of the things I'm seeing is 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 becoming a lot better. I think I was when I came in, some things I saw was was very very uh, you know clinical and and very boring and and very stale in terms of things, both from from colleagues and from my from from also from other companies and competitors. Uh, I think, but the thing is, it is changing. Uh, but we have to move pretty fast because the ACPs, of course. You know, as you mentioned also a little bit earlier, like Amazon and Netflix and so on, they those things you experience there, you you also want to see the same thing in all your different channels that you incorporate with. It's weird that you have all this service and all this almost no friction between all these services and your phone and all these apps, and then suddenly you hit pharma and you have to log in ten times and you have to add you get, you know, cookies for, you know, for every every single thing, and maybe you even have to sign up physical document to attend a webinar, right? That happens as well. 
you know, and then that uh, then it starts becoming a challenge to do real storytelling. Yeah. So we um, are both connected to Chris Walker on LinkedIn. I don't know how much you've talked to him or listened to him, but he was a previous guest on this podcast. Yeah. And I like his approach to demand generation as opposed to demand capture and storytelling, a big part of that. But one of his things is um, things that you ne can't necessarily attribute to, you know, some digital click or something. Is it possible for large pharma organizations to capture valuable qualitative data in addition to any quantitative metrics? It is possible. And, and one thing that I has still as, as one of my key, um, I would keep, keep both challenges, but also one of my key crusades is to get more customer feedback into uh, what we do both before, during, and after. Uh, there's a compliance aspect to that, no doubt. Uh, we implemented Agile back uh, about two years ago, just before the pandemic came, and the Agile methodology is all about trying to incorporate customer feedback. Instead of you trying to to build something and you at the very end show it to the customer, you have to, you know, small steps and iterate along the way. And, and, and you only do that if you're trying to get feedback from somewhere. So I think we have been hyper-focused from in many companies to probably do the quantitative part of the, of the data. Uh, so getting all the information, first party, zero party, all these different um, data points. Um, but I think we were starting struggling more and more. And when I listen, I haven't met Chris or talked to him, but I see some of the things from him. And one thing that I, I, I recently saw was this around the dark funnel, that everything before we actually see something on the customer, all those things that they're actually doing that we will never be able to track. And I think privacy and other things, it's becoming more and more difficult. So I actually think that it's a well worth investment to see if you can shift some effort and resource also, also towards qualitative data and trying to find out. We're trying to actually create in Nordics a, a customer panel um, where we ask, can try to pitch and ask things before and get feedback and, and, and shift the panel around regularly. It's, the, it's been launched in, in, in a few a few weeks and months. So that's that's finally something we can we can say we're doing on the quality side because normally we get i guess feedback and data from the, the sales reps that came in and said oh this is what the customer think but uh, even there's even more touch points hopefully to get quality of data and i know other colleagues have done done things uh interesting things around trying to get that quality of data in but of course there is a lot of and we should be very mindful about the com from compliance aspect here in the in europe we have of course the gdpr and and how do we capture it and how do we treat it is, is very important to us. Yeah, I like that though. That's a concrete approach. Um, the only similar thing I know is from SAMPS, which used to be ACPLS. It's just a meeting for marketers and salespeople in life sciences. But the, the best part of every meeting we ever had was when we'd bring in a customer panel locally mm -hmm. and ask them questions about their interactions with sales and marketing people and you've got some pretty lively discussions and then your idea of rotating those around so you're not hearing from the same people all the time i think is pretty effective because we also get we get in pharma we have tons of people that want to sell reports and sell sell data to us all the time and we buy a, you know often a lot of it to try to get insights because we feel sometimes maybe blinded from what's really happening out there so what we can do ourselves and what we can work around because in the end we just really want to do something that makes more sense for them 
so we don't bother them at the wrong time, that we don't interrupt them at the wrong time because their time is extremely valuable and we don't want to take it away. So we, in the end, we also feel we have something valuable to, to, to deliver, but we can also get into a point where suddenly we just do too much um, and, and we need to get that right. So I think it's, it is valuable for us to get that information also for them to give it to us uh, so we can get it right. So we don't just stop. We had examples from, from other parts of the industry where you develop something uh, and then you see you spend months developing it as it becomes a chatbot on, on, on Messenger, on Facebook or Meta. And then suddenly you launch it, everything is fine until you find out that no doctor wants to actually log into Facebook to, to chat with the, with the Messenger chatbot, right? And then, uh, then, you, then you can start all over. So maybe you should have asked something before that, that happened. Right. What have I missed that we should talk about? Anything? As always, a good question. I think in, in the end, what is the, uh, I guess maybe sometimes what is the future brings and, and what should you do and what should you not do is, is uh, you know, becoming maybe a little bit concrete. Uh, that could maybe be interesting uh, to talk about. Yeah, well, tell me, like, what do you think? What does the future look like? What are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? That you think yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm looking a lot forward to... Um, to seeing the way that we're going to work together first and foremost, and 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 how that evolves uh, after here the the pandemic is how the hybrid way of working and and is traveling and it is everything for our customers also just going to come back to normal before as it was, and and will has has the pandemic actually changed anything uh, besides maybe now you work two days at home and then three days in the office and that was about it and then everything else actually stayed. Stay, you know, relatively the same. Oh, and we remember to turn on the the webcam when we do a when we do a meeting instead of just having it off. That's I'm very interested and curious about what 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 that will bring. Uh, secondly, I I think I'm I'm extremely curious about uh, how the last part of our journey within the company, the pharma, will evolve on the whole service side, on the whole, uh, you know, what will what kind of different your services will we end up having for our customers besides the all the marketing information part of our, our evolution? I'm, I'm very curious about also seeing what other of our colleagues are starting to do. Uh, so within digital health, so I think the, the whole digital health space and, and how we adopt that, and how we approach that and how we invest in that, both us and everybody else is, is going to be, I think, key for us. I think we're going to be, the, the industry is going to be continue to be successful um, because we are very good at what we're doing and it and it's, it's so crucial to, to the world. But I think that if we want to evolve to the next stage, besides being these research and, and manufacturing companies, those services, we need to get that right. And maybe there's opportunities for the industry to work a little bit more together on those things. Uh, that's my you know dream that we would be able to do more collaborative work uh, between the companies on, on the digital health solutions. Yeah, I participated in a digital health conference a few months ago, and it was definitely an eye-opener, you know, across healthcare, you know, how digital impacts that. I'm curious, when you say, you've mentioned services now a few times as a pharma company, do you have an example of what that would be? I mean, I just, I'm still trying to imagine, um, and and I'm thinking, you know, pills and people, but I'm sure you because this is a little bit outside my world. They're pro you're probably thinking 
services for your B2B customers to make things for them? I don't know. What is it? No, I think you could also think about services for towards the patient. I don't think it necessarily has to go through us, but the thing we could support, I think there's a lot of uh, insights for us, but it definitely is around the pill, around the product services I'm thinking about. I think, and we have developed a lot. I think the industry, and I've seen many, including ourselves, but also many other places where you have developed things, you know, apps and things that were probably pretty great at that point in time and it got adoption and then suddenly we, we, we couldn't support it or people moved around and then the app went away or the service went away and and mm. and I'm and I and I just feel we hadn't really gotten to a place where we have nailed that right, those kind of customer solutions, those kind of digital health solutions that we could help provide that will make a benefit for the customer. And that's only the product, but services around the product. Um, and we had yeah. to get those right. Being, you know, in the end, in the past, it was probably just develop a new app when you launch a product and then everything would be fine, but nothing was really, really fine, right? Nobody, nothing really got really to, uh, adopted. I think some other, of course, other competitors have done really, really well in some areas, uh, also in areas that we, we compete in, but uh, really getting it right is still something I, I, I look forward to seeing. Um, and I think there's something around both partnerships there's something around startups and how we we work together with that environment as well um that we need to get better at all right and so i'm going to wrap up with this last question i think i must have seen this on a different post but at the end of 2019 you wrote something and you set uh, a few goals for yourself and you said i'm going to find one new hobby so i'm curious if you found it and what it is uh, so in 2019, I did find a new hobby, uh, and I, I, I have this tendency to have a new hobby each year. So that's both been, you know, growing chilies. Uh, I uh, once many years ago tried to be a DJ for one year, a photographer for one year. Um, we did scuba diving. Uh, that kept a little bit on, but actually, in 2019, one of the big things for me was uh, I started changing my, uh, I started doing fitness. I actually never did really that much fitness until like 20 years ago and then started doing doing fitness and, and lost what is a, about 32 kilos actually during the pandemic uh, and started uh, enjoying and, and traveling abroad and doing these uh, fitness events. So that was my, it sounds very healthy and it actually ended up becoming it as well and it was just to first, to, was first a hobby and I was kept a little bit more than a year. In the meantime, I had, did have a, had a hobby by making chili sauces as well. So uh, but that's, oh, nice. that's going away a little bit again. Well, I found some of your lost kilos. <laughs> <laughs> I've got them right here. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, Erasmus Holm, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, if it's all right with you, I'll put a little link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes for this. Sure. And uh, yeah, thank you again. No, thank you. It was a pleasure. I want to thank you, as always, for listening. And uh, if you were enjoying the podcast, which I assume you did because you're still here, uh, share it with a couple of colleagues. They'd probably enjoy it as well. And I will be back in a couple weeks with another episode. Bye-bye.